Well, I'm so glad you made it out today, despite the snow. And if you happen to be new or are checking us out online for the first time, uh, my name's Don. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And uh, we are now in the second week of about a six-week series we're going to do. have one little break next week. But uh, uh, from the book of Proverbs, where we're looking at some of the themes in Proverbs uh, and calling the series kind of Wisdom for Life. And so today, we want to look at the theme of words, our speech and words. And I'm going to use one key verse as kind of our jumping off point, and that is Proverbs 18.21. And so the title for the message today is Words of the Wise. Well, if we're talking about Proverbs, here's a proverb for you. This isn't a biblical proverb, but you've one you've probably heard. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You ever heard that one? I mean, that one's probably most frequently heard on like the elementary school playground or something your parents told you when you were growing up. The question is, is that proverb really true? And as, you know, as much as we might like it to be true at times... The Proverbs in the Bible would really give us a very different perspective. Those Proverbs would tell us that words are both powerful and important, and they can cause a lot of hurt. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. See, words have the power of life and death. Words can build up, they can give life, they can create trust and unity. They can build relationships and friendships and communicate love and security. Words can encourage and lift up another person's heart and soul. But words can also destroy and bring death. They can destroy trust and unity. They can tear down relationships and divide community. They can discourage and dishearten another person's soul. Words can bring destruction and death. I was reminded of that just this last week. I don't know if you've been following any of the Winter Olympics, but if you have, you might be familiar with the story of Zhu Yi. Uh, Zhu Yi was an American-born Chinese skater, who, a figure skater, female figure skater, who was skating for the nation of China. And when Zhu went out to have her first skate, she really had a bad day. She fell a couple times. It just didn't go well. And after that performance, she was inundated on social media with the most negative, critical, hateful comments and things that you could imagine. And uh, it, was, it was really overwhelming. And so when, when she came out for her second skate, you, you could see in her countenance the effect that it had. And in her second skate, she didn't do well either. And she fell a couple more times. And the, here's a picture of her at the end of that second skate, you you can see the anguish on her face. But there was little sympathy for Zhu on social media. And uh, 
again, there was this incredible outpouring of hateful, mean, critical, negative things. The hashtag, Zhu Yi fell down, was visited 230 million times. Things got so bad that the Chinese authorities literally stepped in and had to censor the site because of all the negativity. Words can have power. You know, words and things people say are, are, are one of the common factors in teen suicide. Words have the power of life and death. Words penetrate deeply into the human soul, either for good or for evil. Words are powerful. How we use words could not be more important. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that we will eat the fruit or bear the consequences, if you will, of how we use words, whether for good or whether for evil. And Proverbs tells us that words are important because our words are directly connected to our hearts. Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. See, the words we speak, they reveal what's really going on inside of us, in our hearts. And oh, oh yeah, we can hide what's going on inside of us through our words. But sooner or later, what's in our heart comes out through our mouth. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34 and 35, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure, out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. See, our words are a window to what we think and feel down inside. Words are both powerful and important. And Proverbs has been given to us that we might understand how to be wise people. And Proverbs has much to say about words and speech. There are over 90 verses in Proverbs on this topic, more than any other single topic. And so if we want to be wise people, we need to pay close attention to how we use words. And Proverbs would tell us loud and clear that wise people are known by the words they speak. And that's really the big idea of the message today. Wise people are known by the words they speak. And so today, we just want to do a survey of what Proverbs has to say about the words we speak. We can't cover everything that Proverbs would tell us, but we want to touch on a number of different verses. And so really three things that we want to look at that characterize how wise people Use words. So before we begin, let's take a moment and pray and ask God to help us. Well, Lord, as we come to you, Lord, we, we ask that your presence would fill this place, that your spirit would be here in, in power and bring clarity. And Lord, help us to, to do some self evaluation in this area, Lord. Uh, there, the words we speak, Lord, they matter. And Lord, you, you want us to be wise people. And so, Lord, help us now to, to grow in what wisdom looks like and how we use words. 
So we just commit this time to you, Lord. I just want you to be glorified and your son to be honored and your church to be served. So I ask you to do that for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing we want to look at is wise people speak words with restraint and self-control. See, Proverbs would say that for many people, wisdom in how we use words actually begins with using them less. Proverbs 15.28 says that we looked at a minute ago, says the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. In other words, it isn't too quick to speak. It thinks carefully before it speaks. And talking too much is generally not associated with being wise. Things like giving an answer before we think things through, speaking carelessly in what we say. These things, they lack wisdom. Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs really tells us that the more we talk, the more likely we are to say things that are wrong or get us into trouble. Proverbs 21.23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When we, the more we talk, the more chance there is that we're going to say something that isn't helpful and it's not right. And so for some of us, wisdom in how we use words begins with talking less. See, wisdom has a lot more to do with listening and seeking to learn and gain understanding than it does with talking. See, when I'm, when I'm talking, I'm not growing in learning or understanding. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Talking too much is often characteristic of a fool in Proverbs. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we value learning and understanding when we're interacting with others? Or are we more concerned with sharing our thoughts and opinions? I mean, do we seek to draw others out and find out about them, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, trying to understand them? Or do we generally prefer to talk about ourselves? and what we like, and what we've done, and what our experiences are, and so on. I mean, do we find ourselves anxious to give an answer or opinion before that person even has a chance to fully express their thought or question? Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And you know... <laughs> I have to confess, I am guilty far more than I would like to admit when it comes to this area. I mean, in our home, we have had numerous conversations about interrupting one another. Um, because you see, when, when I'm in a conversation, I often find that I just think I've got important things to say. 
You know, I've got contributions to make here, and so I'm just waiting for the slightest little pause in your conversation so I can inject what I want to say. And so if you stop and just take a breath in the middle of the sentence, I'm there. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I wind up just interrupting people in my family, um, you know, in the middle of them talking because they paused for a second and I jumped in there. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just kind of pride. It's just elevating that what I have to say, my opinions, my, my thoughts are somehow more important than really seeking to focus on listening and understanding what somebody else is saying. Or maybe, maybe you can relate to this because this is another one that I can do. You're talking, and while you're talking, I'm formulating my answer to what I'm going to say to what you're saying. And, and you don't have to finish. If you just said enough for me to think I know what you're talking about, I'll answer based on that. You, you can save the extra words. Just, just pride. But I, that's just so common in how I relate to words, talking too much. It just can just be an indication of pride in our hearts. And wisdom would tell us that it's often wiser to say less or nothing and patiently listen instead. Kenneth Wingate, in, who wrote a, a great book on Proverbs from the perspective of a father, said this. said, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let others think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. See, wise people speak words with restraint and self-control. And there are two particular areas that Proverbs mentions where we are to use uh, restraint and self-control in our words. One is when we are angry. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You know, speaking when we're angry usually doesn't result in wisdom in how we use words, does it? James, in James 1, 19 and 20 says this, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, James is saying that when you're angry, you're not going to say or do anything that's going to fulfill God's righteous purposes in how you respond. See, angry words are often hurtful words. They're often sinful words. And you know, anger is also one of the key factors in cursing and vulgar words. You know, we're working on something at home and we, we miss the nail and bang our thumb with a hammer and what comes out of our mouth? You know, what kind of speech comes out? I can, I can still picture growing up my father on the farm we grew up on. Whenever the tractor didn't work properly or some piece of equipment or he was having trouble fixing something, he's cussing that thing out left and right. When we're angry... We need to be extra careful to use self-control and restraint in what and how much we say. 
Because responding in unrestrained anger in what we say or do is always characteristic of a fool in Proverbs. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Hurtful words, vulgar words have really no place in God's wisdom. And wisdom calls us to use restraint and self-control in what we say. And that is particularly true when we're angry. Second way that Proverbs says we need to be careful to use restraint and self-control is in the area of gossip. And gossip is spreading a rumor or a story of a personal nature about someone that casts them in a negative or unflattering light. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, Mary went to the movies with James and the guy she's dating, he has no idea. Can you believe it? I mean, that's, you know, it's spreading and unflattering. And if we sent that text, what we do is we, we end it with the emoji, you know, like that, right? Um, but, but that's gossip. And, and our fallen nature and our culture, we just, we just have a fascination with the drama and juicy aspects of people's personal lives, don't we? I mean, if you want one place to just see that reality, just look at television. I mean, reality TV, right? I mean, most reality TV shows are really designed to create drama and relational conflict. I mean, that's the intent. They want you to look at the seedy, dirty side of what happens when people kind of get together in these situations. Things like Big Brother, the housewives of this place, that place, and the other. And, you know, even things like American Idol. Now, I know some of you American Idol fans would say, you really watch this because you really appreciate the quality of some of the singers. I get that. But you see, if that's what the show was all about, They wouldn't be showing you these horrendous auditions of people who, if they have any self-perspective at all, should never go anywhere near a microphone. (laughs) So why do they show them? Because there's something about us that's fascinating by seeing people make idiots of themselves. And why are people drawn to these kinds of shows? And they must be because they just keep making them. And some of it is just its our fascination with wanting to see the negative, juicy details that might unfold in other people's lives. And a fascination with those kinds of juicy details in real life can lead to the temptation to listen to and pass on gossip. And in Proverbs, one who passes on gossip is called a whisperer. You know, it's like, hey. Did you hear so-and-so and so-and-so? We, we just whisper these things because we don't really want anybody to hear. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. In other words, that juicy gospel tid, gossip tidbit that you just shared, when I hear that, it goes down inside me and it affects my heart. And I... I've had this experience, maybe you have too, where someone shares something with you that's kind of negative or unflattering about somebody, and and I can feel my heart shift a little bit inside towards that person. And when I see them next time, I, I look at them just a little bit differently. 
There's questions, there's thoughts that weren't there before. My lens of how I see that person has been shifted a bit because of that juicy morsel that went down inside of me and affected my heart in some way toward them. And so wisdom in our speech uses self-control to not spread gossip. And so if someone comes to us with a a complaint about somebody or a juicy negative story about someone, here's really what we need to do. If we're not part of the solution to whatever the situation is, in other words, if, if it's a complaint of some sort or somebody has a problem with someone, if we're not part of the solution, we should really encourage them to go to the proper person to address their problem or concern. And if it's just some negative report about another person, we really should just graciously tell them we'd rather not hear it, whatever it is. See, gossip is destructive to relationships and to people's and, and their reputations. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. And so wisdom in our words begins with restraint and self-control. Wisdom starts with knowing when not to speak and being careful what not to say. Second thing we want to look at about words is that wise people speak words with truth and integrity. See, dishonest words are words that seek to lie or deceive. And lying and being deceptive in what we say is really just accepted in our world. I mean, politicians lie, advertisers misrepresent, employees and employers uh, are not honest with each other. I was listening to a, a news report yesterday that was saying how there's this kind of new trend going on in the work world. And the new trend is called overemployment, where people who have become uh, or working remote now because of the pandemic have now decided that they're going to work two jobs at the same time. So they work for two employers at the same time during the same hours. Um, and so they get paid twice, you know. Um, and, of course, you've got to be really deceptive if you do that because you've got to hide it from your employers because you can't let them know that you're working for somebody else and the hours you're supposed to be working for them. Uh, but this is a growing trend in the world we live in. And so uh, lying and deception is just kind of part of the way things are done in our world. And, you know, I, I can really relate to this area personally because um, before I came to faith in Christ, I was, a, I was probably the worst liar that you could find. I mean, I, I just lied as a way of navigating through life. I was deceptive. I, uh, I didn't care about the truth. I lied about anything. I lied about my accomplishments. I lied about my past. I lied about my background. I lied about my present, my future. I lied about things to make me look good in other people's eyes. I lied when it was more convenient than telling the truth. If ever it would benefit me in some way, I would lie. That's just the way that I lived. And when I came to Christ in 1985, God really began to work very powerfully in my life in the six months following that. 
And one of the things that began to happen is because, you know, it wasn't like I thought, oh, well, line's wrong. I can't do that anymore. It didn't even really cross my mind because I was really brand new in kind of Christianity um, and didn't understand a lot about it. But so I continued to lie. Um, And then as time went on, something began to happen. And what happened was I began to find that when I told a lie, all of a sudden it didn't feel the same anymore. It felt nasty coming out of my mouth. And there was something different inside of me where somehow the truth, which didn't matter at all before, somehow mattered now. And so I kept on lying for a while, but it got to feel so nasty when I would do it that eventually I just came to the point and said, I just don't want to, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And so there came to the point where I said to God, Lord, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to make a commitment to you that I'm going to do my best to live out my life speaking in truth and integrity to the best I can. And that was God's grace at work in my life, changing that area that was really terrible before I was, uh, became a believer. And really, Proverbs tells us that God hates lying and deceptive words. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 19.5 tells us that a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. But the challenge is, in the moment when we are tempted to lie or be deceptive in what we say, do we really believe God's wisdom? Do we really believe that a false witness won't go unpunished? Do we really believe that he who breathes out lies will not escape? See, our words are to be truthful and honest. We're to have integrity in what we say. Integrity means being the same on the inside that I am on the outside, that there's a solidness to my being, both inner and out of where they match up, and I'm not hollow on the inside or different in what I present on the outside from what I really am. And you know, the world's way is to say whatever we need to in order to get what we want or gain some benefit. It can be material things, it can be our reputation, It can be wanting others to like us or see us as important or significant. I mean, that's one of the main reasons that I lied in my life before I became a a Christian. I just wanted other people to be more impressed with me. I wanted them to think of me as more significant, somehow more likable, more, more whatever it was. I just, and lying was just how I tried to present myself to do that. And so we, we stretch things. We embellish or add to the truth. We hold back certain parts of the truth to protect our interests. Or we just flat out lie and say something that's false. And the temptation to do this, it really surrounds us every day. I I remember a number of years ago, um, I was in the process of renewing my car insurance and and so I had kind of shopped around to see if I could find the, you know, the company that kind of had the best rates and did my research. And so, so I had found this company that I thought this is the one that seems to have the best rates for us. And, and so I was, remember being on the phone with the agent and um, 
we were kind of working through the details of the policy. And uh, so they were asking me a lot of questions. And we got to the part about kind of the, the cars in our home and the drivers and what car they were connected with. And so uh, at the time, we had three cars. Uh, there was a car that I drove primarily, one that my wife, Margaret, drove primarily, and then uh, there was a, an older used car that um, our daughter, Deborah, our oldest daughter, Deborah, drove uh, regularly. And, and then there was Lisa, who was in college at the time, and she didn't have a car, um, but she was driving, and she would drive back and forth to school in Margaret's car. So as I'm talking with the agent, and she's walking through, well, you know, what, who drives what car, when we got to Lisa, she says to me, she says, you know, if you assign your, her to your other daughter's car, it won't cost you anything. But if you assign her to your wife's car, it's going to cost you $350 extra. Um, and so here I am, and I'm tempted because I'd like to save this $350. And the agent is literally suggesting that I assign her to my daughter's car to save the money. And so I'm there wrestling with that issue of what, what do I do here? So let me stop. What would you do if you were in that situation? What would you do? Well, as I wrestled through that, I came to the point where I said, I just, I, my integrity is more important before God than the $350. And so I told her, I said, no, she drives my wife's car. And she paused, the agent paused for a minute. I, I'm sure she thought I was a complete idiot <laughs> for doing that. But in moments like that, what wisdom do you hold to? Wise people speak words with truth and integrity. Third thing we want to look at is wise people speak words that are gracious and appropriate to the need of the moment. Proverbs 15.23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. And the word apt it, it means appropriate would be a good way to describe it. It's saying the right thing at the right time in the right way. Because saying the right thing at the wrong time, that's not helpful. Saying the right thing in the wrong way isn't helpful either. And you know, this is particularly true if we need to bring something to someone's attention that involves correction or reproof or some offense or something we need to work through, some problem we need to work through. Saying something at the wrong time or in the wrong way usually says something about us. It says something about our own heart in that situation. It reveals that whatever is going on has become more about me in that moment rather than about what's best for the other person. I mean, give you an example. You go out and get in your car and you turn it on and you find that the gas tank is on E because your 18-year-old who used the car last night uh, used it and didn't put gas in it. And how many times have you told them, you're going to use the car, the one thing I ask you to do is put gas in it when you bring it back. 
But they didn't do that. And so as you go about your way and you kind of do what you went out to do and you in irritation go and fill it up with gas and when you get back home, you walk through that door, the first thing you do is call their name because you're on it, right? Well, in that moment, that has become all about you. It's how you've been inconvenienced. It's how you are irritated because of How could they not do what you asked them to do? It is all about you in that moment. It's not about handling, thinking carefully and handling this in a way that's going to best help and serve the other person. It's about how the situation is affecting you. And see, if that's your orientation, you typically won't handle that wisely. But apt or appropriate words, they consider how to say things in the best way at the best time to help or serve what's good for the other person. And we must think carefully about timing and how to communicate things to people. Proverbs 25:11 says, "A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver." In other words, think of yourself as a craftsman in how you use words. And as a craftsman, just like this proverb says, you can create this beautiful piece of jewelry, so to speak, something that will be beautiful and bless others as a craftsman. And you can do the same kind of thing with your words, you can use your words and craft them in a way that really serves and blesses other people. And this is where restraint and self-control in our words are helpful and important because wise words are appropriate words. They are the right thing said in the right way at the right time. But wise words are also gracious words. Gracious words are words that are encouraging, straightforward, and pure. Gracious words reflect a heart that sees God's grace at work in people's lives. They're straightforward and honest words that are said in a loving, gentle way. And being honest and straightforward in what we say to people is, is important. But honesty and straightforwardness that isn't rooted in grace and love that seeks the good of the other person, that's not wisdom. I mean, maybe you've known someone who, they're the person who, they just say whatever they think and feel, right? They just put it out there. You know, they're just direct. And they kind of wear that as a little bit of a merit badge about their honesty and directness, right? And they can be like a bull in the china shop at times. Um, and Proverbs would say, that's just not wisdom. Proverbs 29, 11, we looked at before, says a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. See, gracious words are pure. They honor God and seek the good of the other person. They bring blessing and life to others. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, 29 says it this way. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So see, wise words are words that build others up. They act for their good and their best interest, and they fit the occasion. There's apt, they're apt, they're appropriate for the occasion, that it may give grace. They're gracious words. And you know, I I think one of the main applications of this is really for those of us who are parents. Because one of the greatest challenges in parenting is how we use words. Harsh, critical, or angry words can do a lot of damage in children's lives. I mean, over the years that I've been a pastor, I've had the opportunity to do quite a bit of counseling, and there have been times where I have sat in with adults who are weeping uncontrollably because of the hurt and pain of words that were said to them by their parents growing up. And so wisdom and how we use words is extremely important in the role of a parent. But wisdom and how we use words is really important for all of us. Words are powerful. Proverbs 18.21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And wise people are known by the words they speak. If I could have the worship team come. You know, there are a few areas in life that are more challenging than applying God's wisdom and how we use words. James, in James 3, 1 and 2, says this. He says, if we never stumble in our words, we're a perfect person, able to keep our entire being under control. James says, if you can manage your words so that you never stumble there, you'll have no problem managing the rest of your life. But you know, None of us qualify as a perfect person in this life. Being wise in our words, it, it, it isn't easy. And we will fail plenty of times as we pursue wisdom. I am guilty of failing in this area again and again and again. And Jesus himself has some sobering words for us on this issue. He said this in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Is that a scary thought or what? That every careless word we're going to be held accountable for by God. And those words that didn't meet that standard of perfect perfection where we never stumbled, they're going to result in condemnation. And so really, if you think about it, an honest self-evaluation of our words and how we've used them over the course of our life, it should make us realize just how much we need a Savior. Because who among us wants to stand before God and have his perfect holy standard judge us by the words we have spoken throughout life? I know I don't. 
And you know, when Jesus says, by your words, you will be justified in that verse, he's not talking about that somehow you can live up to God's perfect standard of being a perfect person and and never stumbling in your words throughout your entire life. He's not saying that's possible. What he's saying is, the words that will justify you before God are the words you declare to God that express your choice to put your trust and hope in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Those are the words that will justify you. Because that's really why Jesus came. He came to rescue us from the consequences, the condemnation that would come to us because of our words and our thoughts and our deeds. And he came into this world, took on human flesh to become one of us, except he lived out life perfectly. He never stumbled in his words. His words were always perfect. And he lived a life of perfect obedience to God. And he earned that justification, that righteous standing with God by his perfect obedience so that he could then give that to us. And then he gave himself to die on a cross to take upon himself the condemnation for all of the words that we have spoken that have violated God's holy standard as well as all of the thoughts and deeds. And he took that condemnation for us. And he paid the price required. So that by putting our faith, our trust, our hope in him and what he did, that even our worst words can be forgiven. And so if you're listening or you happen to be here today and, and you've never thought you needed a Savior, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would just say to you, think about your words. Do some honest self-evaluation. And God offers today as he, that if you would turn to Jesus, if you would Tell God that you can't make it on your own. You you can never live it out good enough. Your words will never measure up. And that you need a Savior and you turn and put your hope and trust in Jesus. God says he'll forgive all of your words, all of your actions, all of your deeds. And so God invites you if you've never done that Just think about your words over the course of your life and let that speak to you about whether you need a Savior. Because by putting our faith and trust in Him as our Lord and Savior, we can have our worst words forgiven. And for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, our hope to grow in wisdom and how we use words, it's it's not based on our own strength and effort. I mean, we need to pursue wisdom and seek to apply it with all of our effort. But our hope is always only in the grace and power of Jesus Christ at work within us to do that. And if we've placed our trust in Jesus, 
God has fully and completely forgiven even our worst words and deeds, and his spirit is at work in us to empower us to grow in wisdom in our words. And he's at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. And my own testimony is is an example of that, where God took a, a corrupt liar And by his grace working in my life, changed me into a person who wanted to try the best of my ability to live a life of honesty and truthfulness. I didn't do that. It wasn't me doing that. That was the grace of God and his mercy to me. And that same power is at work in each one of your lives. And so as God's people, he wants us to be wise. That's why he's given us these scriptures in the book of Proverbs that we might know wisdom and have hope to grow in it. And one of the ways that God's wisdom is displayed in our lives is in the things we say. Wise people are known by the words they speak. So let's stand together and let's close with a song. And if, Because if we take an honest look at all the ways we fail and how we use words, it should lead us to just a deep gratefulness for just how sweet and precious God's mercy that has come to us through the gospel is. And so let's sing this song with grateful hearts as we declare that mercy and grace.